Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Seat at the Table podcast. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, lead editor at HR Daily Advisor. This podcast focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, featuring thoughtful conversations and insight from experts, change makers, and leaders from the business world. For this episode of A Seat at the Table, I'm joined by Ryan Whitaker, partner at executive search firm Bridge Partners. Prior to joining the firm, Ryan led retained executive search assignments as managing director at Major Lindsay in Africa, where he also served on the Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Previously, Ryan was in legal practice for more than 12 years with the law firms Perkins Coy and Fagray Drinker as well as Corporate Counsel for U.S. Foods and Brookfield Retail Properties Group. I'm also delighted to have Toya Lawson with us. She too is a partner at Bridge Partners and has 20 years of experience working in retained and contingent search, corporate HR, and talent acquisition environments. Before joining the firm, Toya was a managing director at a Philadelphia-based boutique retained search firm, that focus on the placement of senior level accounting and and finance professionals. Ryan and Toya have joined me today to discuss Bridge Partners' recently commissioned survey, C-suite leaders and HR decision makers on DEI. All right, everyone, get comfortable in your seats. Ryan and Toya, welcome to the show. How are you guys today? Or I'm sorry, how is everyone today? We're doing great. We're doing well. It's a a Monday, so you know, I got to bring the positivity. Absolutely. And the sun is shining, so I'm more than grateful. Uh, So we're going to jump right into things. Uh, And Toya, we'll start with you with this question both uh, for the both of you. Uh, But your take first. Please tell me, what is your definition of having a seat at the table? Wow. So having a seat at the table means that you're allowed to sit at the table, your voice is heard, your opinion is respected, and everyone is courteous and polite to one another and um, is willing to hear from each and every person. Um, So to me, that would be my definition of having a seat at the table. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And Ryan, what's your definition of having a seat at the table? I have to follow that, huh? (laughs) I, I think seat at the table for me is, you know, the agency given to a person, an individual, uh, to have the opportunity to affect decisions that will affect, uh, you know, many multiples. Um, and so not everybody, you know, especially in corporate America, has that that agency. And it's it's a powerful thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you both for sharing that. And Ryan, you recently uh, published an article. Well, I'm sorry. We recently published an article of yours here at HRDA uh, titled 2023's Biggest Takeaways for DEI Leaders in HR. Uh, Now, in this article, you wrote about how last year was a year of big change for DEI initiatives in corporate America. uh, And you said that anti-sentiment gathered momentum with the so-called war on woke. Of course, in addition to, um, excuse me, the Supreme Court's decision to end, affor- to end affirmative action in university admissions. Now, despite the various narratives uh, that played out about DI in the news, Bridge Partners' two decades of experience and in inclusive executive search revealed that there is far more to uncover about corporate DI beyond these surface level portrayals and cultural worlds, wars, excuse me, excitement. Now I say that all to say to ask you, can you please talk about your firm's inaugural DEI barometer survey and some of the key findings, please? Sure, sure, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, 
This is something that percolated in the back of our collective mind um, over the past year, which is during the pandemic and then especially during the summer of 2020 and, and George Floyd's murder and the reaction to that, there had been a, a gosh, it was a, a, I will hate to use the term explosion, but there was a burst of, you know, activity at the corporate level um, proclaiming you know, BLM, uh, Me Too, and standing with their fellow, you know, diverse team members. And it seemed to us that there had been, following that 2020, a, a kind of a coming down effect, perhaps, maybe even a backlash um, when you start to hear about the war on woke and things of that nature over the past year in our politics. And, you know, collectively, we, we kind of made the decision that why don't we take the temperature of, of our clients and maybe some others. And so we partnered with an outside group um, who helped us run what we thought, and we still think is that first real check uh, of corporate America about, in particular, diversity initiatives in uh, for-profit enterprises. And we really had the idea in last, about, about this time last year, but it took us a minute to, to get it all ramped up and by then, we were really into the springtime, and the Supreme Court, during their, uh, their term last year, had the University Affirmative Action case on their docket. So we had the great fortune to wait a couple of weeks before we hit you know, send on that survey uh, and got that decision down. And we quickly revised our survey to include several uh, questions that asked our C-suite and HR leaders you know, what their reaction was reading this decision, this decision, excuse me. And um, I will tell you personally, and I, I'd love to hear what Toya thought too, but I anticipated maybe the polar opposite of, of the response that we got. And so let me step back for a second and say this. The survey that we commissioned was um, more than 400, or the respondents were more than 400 C-suite and HR leaders from corporate America, meaning... Uh, companies that were at least 250 in headcount uh, or at least 25 million in, in annual revenues. So it was a statistically significant sample size and the first of its kind uh, that did take the temperature uh, of corporate America about DEI in the wake of that Supreme Court decision. And the headline of the, of the numbers that came back were uh, 80%. 80% of those 400 respondents uh, said that you know, the DEI and diversity initiatives were very important to that company. Um, kind of blew us away. And, you know, that's the top line number. There's a lot to unpack within that. But the rest of the numbers really did stand out to show us that even though affirmative action had been struck down in, in college admissions, corporate leaders understood the importance and the value that corporate diversity programs bring to their uh, organizations. And we asked a couple of other follow-ups, no, many follow-ups, but one of them said, you know, asked whether they were going to pull back or to increase um, their funding for such programs. And it was overwhelmingly uh, on the positive that they were going to increase their, the funding of their programs. So there's a lot of other things to unpack there, but that was sort of the top line uh, number and reaction that we got, which I'll tell you, still kind of blows us away. And, and the last thing, and then I'm gonna shut up for a minute, there was a recent survey that followed ours by the uh, law firm Littler Mendelssohn that really um, reinforced the numbers that we found. 
same same sort of of and I don't have the stats to hands, but they were similar reactions from corporate I mean, their, their corporate clientele who also said they too recognized the importance of DEI initiatives and were not likely to pull back on them. Yeah. So DEI is important. If you if you take a look at what's happening in America, America is becoming more and more and more diverse. Um, I read a statistic a while back that by 2046, um, there will be more diverse professionals in corporate America than there will be those who aren't. And so it is interesting um, because DEI programs have been successful. They work. They change people's attitudes. They change people's behaviors. And that's really what we're trying to get at is a change of attitude and behavior and really an inclusive focus on things. Absolutely. I love that. And it's great. And with what you all have found with your survey, you know, the proof is in the pudding. <laughs> as, as people would say, 80% of large employers see DEI programs as positive. 88% of large employers see DEI programs as necessary. Toya, what you just said as well is also proof that, you know, it's necessary, it's important, you know, and we're trending toward a more inclusive society. Um, what is it about DEI and your professional opinions that, uh, I don't want to say, say people are fearful of it, but just maybe I'll say change, like what is stopping us from progressing? I think people think that DEI in some ways, if they don't necessarily see themselves as diverse, it means that it doesn't include them. But DEI includes everybody. Um, and when we do a search, we always tell our clients we are doing an inclusive search and we are going after everyone and everybody has a shot at it, um, of getting the job. And so as long as um, we continue to do our searches in an inclusive manner, that's what's important. Um, and so I say that if you are if you are cautious of DEI, it's normally because you think it excludes you, but it doesn't. And that's what's most important is that people realize that it's an inclusive way of doing things and inclusion comes first. Yeah, we, we very much um, speak to our clients a lot about kind of stepping back and looking at DEI and unpacking what, that, what those three you know, uh, letters stand for. And I think, frankly, what happens sometimes in corporate America that it's, too, it's, it's relatively easy when we want to measure everything to kind of count up who do we have? What do they look like? What do they sound like? Where do they come from? And we end up tracking these, these statistics like how many Asian Americans, how many Black Americans, how many gay Americans, how many, however, how we like to categorize and then count people. And I kind of think that's, that's backwards. You know, diversity ought to be a, an end goal, an aspirational end goal that you work on your inclusivity and your equity to get to that end goal. I think the other way around where you try to just hire a certain person or peoples um, gets you into trouble, frankly. And that is that is that that was the no-no at the Supreme Court. That is what I think uh, corporate programs are coming under fire now for is that, you know, you call them quotas, you call them targets, but that's kind of the no-no. If you're thinking about diversity first and, and that's, that's probably backwards. You really ought to be thinking inclusivity 
and equity that will ultimately beget diversity. But if you start with diversity first, you're going to end up with a revolving door of talent because those quote unquote diverse people who come in are going to take a look at your environment and go right back out. Absolutely. And you just brought up uh, or brought to mind a statistic. I have a, a, a bevy of them here uh, from the survey, uh, but I think that ties well into what you just said. Uh, so 60% of large company leaders use an increase of racially and ethnic, ethnic oh, excuse me, ethnically diverse employees as a metric of success for DEI programs. Yeah, it's, it's because I think it's easy, right? I think corporate America likes to count things. They like KPIs, they like to measure, which we understand, but, but, but let's think about what we're measuring and what, and why, and what is it about diversity that makes it positive? What are we seeking and hoping to get out of that? And if what you're seeking and hoping to get out of is innovation and creativity, and looking at things differently, um, that doesn't mean it has to, you know, be a Benetton ad. It, it's not about that. It's it's about it's about bringing the different perspectives to bear. Um, and I think we can get caught up too too much in that kind of box checking exercise that will get you in trouble. Then, oh, absolutely. Now I'm gonna uh, pivot just a little bit, but it's still in the same vein. Uh, another great segue here, I think, uh, as a reference to the HRD article that we published of yours. Uh, now data can be a good thing, right? Uh, you mentioned that if leadership wants to remain committed to DEI programs and conflicting amid conflicting narratives, all they have to do is look at the data to back up their investments. So taking a, a change, if you will, or a swivel on that pivot of that data, uh, data excuse me, can you elaborate on that, please? I think what we were getting at there is the fact that, you know, the, the underlying data that, that we have, um, you know, I think about the McKinsey studies that come out, I think it's at, at semi-annually at this point. Um, there's Drucker Institute uh, numbers from the Wall Street Journal that show the effectiveness of having diverse, well, chief diversity officers and having diversity programs. Uh, they show that they affect bottom line numbers and performance. They also affect all of the HR types of, of, of concerns, including re retention, uh, your promotion, the succession lines and the bench strengths uh, of leadership. So that, so, so I think the, the baseline data is there that it, there's a net positive to be had um, from diversity and inclusion initiatives. And so in the face of these culture war or discourse uh, headwinds, what is a company and leadership to do? If we know that the underlying data says these are good for us and that we can outperform our competitors if we continue on this attack, what do we do? Are we going to get sued? Are we going to face backlash from our employees? What are we supposed to do? And that's the tricky part because if you have numbers that show you this is this is what you ought to be doing but yet you have a bunch of people yelling at you um that's not a fun place to be but i think what we're seeing now in a lot of our clients is, is maybe a little bit of a tone down from the shouting that happened in 2020 people kind of keeping their heads down companies who are deciding not to take such public stances but continuing the work and i think to me that's the most important thing yeah it's not so much how how loud you're shouting because many of those those shouts that came out in 2020, and circle back and find out what they did on those pledges, probably not everything that they were hoping to, to get accomplished. But if you're continuing the work and putting the time in on inclusion and equity, 
he probably will end up in that at that diversity end goal. And and one of the things I wanted to add is diversity doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a year. It doesn't happen in two years. It's a continuous activity. Um, diversity, equity, and inclusion is something that has to be brought in and dealt with over time. And it's not something that just happens immediately. Um, it is something that it takes time, it takes effort, um, and it takes intentionality um, to be successful. And it, it it's not going to be, you know, a looking at a number um, to see how many, you know, brown faces or black faces or Hispanics faces or whatever that we have in the table or in the room. It's going to be an attitude that changes and shapes behavior over time. I love that. Thank you for sharing that as well. And of course, uh, to the both of you. Uh, now, we all know it's a Black History Month, so happy Black History Month to everyone. Um, but it's also the perfect time for leaders to assess their company's DEI efforts. Uh, and this actually goes into vein with what you just said, Toya, uh, as well. This, this might answer it or at least give it a start. Uh, but when it comes to assessing your company's DEI efforts, what does this entail and where does it start? Where, where, does it, where would a leader start? I know it's a lot to unpack here, but is it first just switching that lens and like you just said, Toya, understanding that it's not gonna be an immediate result or a success, success it's gonna take time? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, there are steps that organizations can take um, to ensure their DEI efforts. You know, we are on the hiring end of things and so, you want to make sure that you've really, really looked at each step in your recruiting process to make sure that it's an inclusive um, process. And so it starts with things like looking at the job descriptions. Um, it starts by identifying who are the gatekeepers. It starts with, you know, casting a very, very wide net. Um, and not going to the same schools, the same associations. Um, so those are just some of the things that an organization can do, at least from the hiring perspective, because that's where Ryan and I come from, um, of you know, looking at how do we increase diversity? Well, you've got to really cast that net wide. You've got to really take a look at who who's going to be a part of the interview process. Um, how inclusive is that interview process? Who's going to ask questions? You know, those are some of the things that a company's going to need to look at in order to really determine if it's an inclusive process. And then I would, I would say, you know, this is getting a, a little bit um, maybe outside of our own wheelhouse because we are executive recruiters, but, you know, we do speak with our clients about, you know, once that person's in the door, once they're in the chair, what are you doing? What, what are you doing to help them? What are you doing to get the best out of that person? And if that person happens to be the first or the only in that organization, you got to take some real consideration, um, you know, because that's a lonely place. It can be a lonely place to be. I know that I've been in that situation before. And, you know, it's not that someone needs, quote unquote, help, but you need to realize what, what you're putting that person into. And that's when we think, speak about and talk about, well, what does inclusivity mean? That's inclusivity. Is, are you, are you, are you, you're giving that person the seat at the table, but are you giving them a voice? Are you listening to them? 
Are you giving them that chance to speak and to affect those decisions that are being made? Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's relatively easy to get somebody's or somebody's in the door, but the real work is what do you do with them once they're in the building? And that, that really goes to retention. You know, companies need to evaluate their retention strategies and their retention um, tactics to make individuals feel comfortable for their voices to be heard, for them to be listened to. It's it's interesting, um, you know, getting a person in the door is just step one. Um, you've got to learn how to keep them and keep them engaged um, and keep them contributing. And so it's, it's very much, we can open the door and we can put people in front of our clients, but our clients have to do the real job of retaining and engaging and allowing that person to feel comfortable so that they stay for a long period of time. Right. Absolutely. It sounds like belonging is a key component there. That's what I'm hearing. Making sure they belong to. Yes, that's exactly right. You know, the more a person feels that they belong, the more they can find the commonalities between the group, the better. Absolutely. I love that. Uh, another stat or finding, I'm sorry, from the survey that keeps sticking out to me uh, that I keep looking at, uh, despite DEI program success for, racial, for racially and ethnically diverse groups, According to the data, it seems that women and LGBTQ people are still lagging behind. Uh, any comments there or elaboration, please? It was curious. Yeah, we saw that was something that came out of the data, which was, yeah, just, just as you say, while, and, and here's where we, we come back and talked about that box checking exercise and the relative ease in getting people into the door, but keeping them is the hard part. And I think some of this may be the companies thinking about that, how, how we're measuring things and we measure them by race and ethnicity and nationality. And because we're measuring race, because we're measuring ethnicity, we're putting our effort into that. And it could be, there are other folks out there who identify different ways. And because we're not measuring those characteristics, maybe they're falling away a bit. And so that was just something that was that I'm glad you, you, you referenced that because that was curious to us too. Um, and frankly, we're not um, <laughs> we're not HR consultants, so we don't know how far to dig in that one ourselves. But it raises a lot of interesting questions. But to us, anyway, it, it says you know again, think about what you're measuring here and why. Of course, uh, and and one more thing before I open up the floor to uh, both of you, uh, and, and of course my final question. Uh, but you already mentioned Ryan how one person can't be diverse on their own. So you just can't use one or two people to cross up a box. Uh, but from what I was told from your PR person, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name at the moment, but she did mention that you can create diverse groups of people with a, with a variety of perspectives and backgrounds, excuse me, excitement. Can you elaborate on that, please? Yeah, we, we really, really do try to emphasize that, you know, I don't like the term, you know, a diverse person. A person can't be diverse. Um, it's, it's just, it's not... Yeah, that's just not correct. And so I, I, I really talk through with our clients a lot about, well, what, are we, what do we mean by diversity? I mean, it's, sometimes it's very, very basic, but if we're getting back to that notion that we want difference, we don't want the same, we don't want everyone to think of the same, we don't want everyone to be the same, to do the same, we want difference. So that, that means 
probably doing things a little bit different. And, and, and I don't know that I'm answering your question because I kind of got lost in my own brain there, but um, that is something we, we, do, we do speak a lot of, about with our clients all the time um, is, you know, not again, sort of just box checking and counting up things that we think we need to have. Um, I, a, lot, a lot of times I'll, I'll talk to my clients about, you know, being additive to the group. You know, what are some attributes and characteristics and things, skill sets, experiences, perspectives um, that we don't have? And let's let's look for those, you know, and that could be a whole heck of a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, that's what we what we try to do. And, and what Toya has mentioned several times, too, is you're just thinking creatively to widen that net at the outset before you start winnowing things down. Absolutely. And uh, a new a new phrase I just learned recently, if you will, uh, cultural intelligence. It sounds like that's what we all need in the world today. Of course, we all come from different backgrounds. We have different perspectives. You know, we're different races and ethnicities, all these different things. That's wonderful. Uh, but if we can put ourselves in other people's shoes and understand that we all have but we all can still add value. Like you said, Toya, DEI, excuse me, is for everyone. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I would say that that cultural intelligence and mm -hmm. how one gains it is really important. You know, mm -hmm. getting individuals who have been in environments where they are the one and only, where they have been in positions where they have been the area in the area of difference is really important. You know, trying to find individuals that have have been in organizations where they are the one and only, where they have mixed up with other groups is, is really important to, to have. The more a person puts themselves out there, the better they are to deal with issues of diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Uh, well, at this point, uh, opening up the floor, is there anything that either of you would like to talk about that we haven't hit on or you would like to add to? Well, we would talk a little bit about Black History Month, but we hadn't really talked about it. Well, what would you like to talk about? I know I would go in a, a number of ways. Well, Black History Month is here. Mm -hmm. It's always interesting to me because for a long time, it was just Black History Month. And there were no other really months of the year in which others got celebrated. Um, and now we have, you know, um, Hispanic History Month. We have Women's History Month. We have LBGTQ um, Month. We have all these months. And I'm wondering, you know, what are people doing to celebrate the months? Um, it's funny. I have children and my daughter came home and said, Happy Black History Month. And I said, when do we start saying happy Black History Month to one another? But okay, happy Black History Month. And she said, well, well what, what are we going to do? What are we going to learn? And I said, okay. So anyway, um, I'm just curious as to what people are doing to celebrate and to learn um, during the course of the months. Because I know, at least for me with my children, we try to learn something new of course. about, well, Black History Month being ourselves, mm -hmm. but also to celebrate the accomplishments of those who have gone before us. Absolutely. So I wonder 
is that the point of the months and what are other people doing during the other months? That's true. Hmm. I, I think it is the point. You have to learn it's education, you know, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. And I know that, you know, oftentimes we may hear about the same people, but with that mindset, Toya, uh, that you just shared, and of course with your daughter as well, her mindset, you can choose a different person or it doesn't have to be a big celebrity person. It could be someone from your very own community, a neighbor uh, or another, another business. Uh, so that education can, can look like and take shape, excuse me, excitement in any way that you see fit. But that's just that's just me. But I love that. What about you, Ryan? Yeah, I'm thinking about that, too, here, just sitting here and, and um, you know, Asian uh, AAPI in a, you know, month is, is May. And, you know, thinking about what, what we, we do and, and other communities do during a respective month, you know, some of it is... Um, just that, I think, Toya, which is you know, just learning your own history, being reminded of it. And I like, um, you know, your 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 comment about you know, just someone in your own neighborhood. Yeah. Um, you know, people we I think too often we're online and we don't really talk to the folks across the street. And to to learn and put a face on history and culture. Um, I think it's tremendous. And so I, that's, that's, to me, I love learning about that. So, you know, cause everyone's got a story and um, there are myriad stories out there untold. And I think we, they ought, they ought to have be given a voice and, and a platform. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would just like to add that for black history month and for Asian American month and uh, um for uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, it's always good to read a book. You know, read a book about someone else's experience. I'm actually reading um, a book right now called The Henna Artist. Um, So I'm a little ahead. Um, (laughs) But uh, I always like to just read a book about a different culture um, and uh, learn just a different perspective um, of what it might have been like. you know, a couple years ago I read, and it was a really eye-opening book for me, but I read um, The Warmth of Other Suns, um, which is about the um, the Great Migration um, and how um, people migrated from the South to the North. And um, it was, it, I covered areas in the book that I didn't even realize were very um, in, important, but also very familiar in my life. Um, I learned that my grandparents, both of my grandfathers were great migrationists. Um, and so it led to, you know, conversations with my parents and with my, well, my grandparents are dead now, but it, it allowed me to learn a little bit of the history that I did not know. Mm. And so I always just kind of look at that example and say, huh, you know what, maybe reading a book for each holiday might be, or each month might be something good to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And I, you definitely inspired me to do it. So that is something that I will do moving forward. I love that. Um, I think uh, in the, con- we're well, not in the context, I'm sorry, again, words combust in my head all the time, but listening to both, to both of what you said, uh, it also reminded me too, that history is now as well. So we can, of course, you know, read the books and, you know, talk to the people in our neighborhood and learn about things past, but we're also still forging a path as well forward. 
So whatever that history is that we're making now, like, let's be proactive about it and uh, let's have some passion about it too. So, yeah, that's amazing. Um, um, anything to add there, Ryan? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's tremendous. I'm, I'm really glad and thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to chat today. Absolutely. I have one more question for the both of you and then we're done. It's my final question. So my final question is, uh, and Toya, we'll start with you. What's on your heart? Oh my. Um, what's on my heart? So I guess it being Black History Month and it also being that I, I am a DEI professional, um, it's you know always looking to provide spaces for inclusion and exposing myself to people from different cultures and religious backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds. Um, it's important that it's something that I do on a regular basis and it's something that I really look forward to. Um, so, you know, whether it's going to dinner at a new restaurant, it's reading a new book about a new culture or a new ethnicity. Um, that's, that's kind of what's on my heart. Um, you know, always learning is always important. Um, and so, you know, as long as I keep that attitude of I'm a student and I'm here to learn and I'm here to grow and I'm, I'm here to take in something new. That that's what, what I'm looking to do. Love that. Love that. Uh, and Ryan, what's on your heart? You know, I thinking back to something that we had just spoken about here with that everyone has a story mm -hmm. and we don't necessarily know what story someone brings and to recognize, I try to tell myself every day, because um, we're in the people business. We're constantly meeting people, new people, and um, revisiting old friends. Um, but everyone's got a story. Everyone's got stuff. Everyone's got things, and it's real to them. So no matter what we might think about what somebody else is going through, it's real to them. And you gotta give people grace. And I'm hoping that I can um, you know, do that and my everyday. I love that. Both responses. Thank you so much. Thank you both for your time today. I truly appreciate it. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and it's been a complete delight. Well, thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. Remember, you can always listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Again, I'm Bianca Heron. Join us next time at the table. And as always, We'll have your seat waiting for you.